Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 Triple R. Hi all, it's me, Mel Cranenberg, host of Backstory. I'm a little sick today, nothing serious, but we're all doing our bit to make others feel safe right now. So I'm recording this from my home office, where I'm predictably enough surrounded by books. Last week, I managed to record an interview with Liam Peeper, author of memoir Feel Good Hit of the Year, The Toymaker, a novel, and the essay collection Mistakes Were Made. Now he has a new book, Sweetness and Light. Peeper describes writing it to roughly paraphrase him as an exercise in seeing what it would be like to mash together Shantaram and Eat, Pray, Love. I asked Liam about his book and the misanthropic character we meet in the opening pages. It's an enjoyably long-form interview, and we'll be playing it in three parts. So sit back and enjoy. Your new novel, Sweetness and Light, is uh, slightly anything but. It starts off with a rather, um, let's just say, misanthropic protagonist, I think is a way to put it, uh, Connor, who is uh, washed up, mostly metaphorically, in a... Uh, one of the kind of beach towns in Goa and called Shanty. And he's, uh, he's trapping wayward travellers, young women or slightly older than young women, uh, and basically stealing from them uh, in kind of, you know, betraying their trust and not really thinking about the consequences of that afterwards. Where did this character come from and, uh, and what was the, the setup for this kind of somewhat disturbing character arc? Oh, good question. Uh, I guess the setup for uh, the character itself, um, I guess you start with the setting. Uh, I wanted to write a book about Western India, the, you know, the beaches of Goa, and um, sort of those tourist beaches that have been uh, kind of overtaken by Westerners and where the culture has become very geared around uh, providing kicks to uh, to itinerant uh, hedonistic Westerners. Uh, you know, there's that sticky, seedy underbelly that all tourist towns have. I, was, I really wanted to explore that in fiction. And Connor, the character himself, just kind of presented himself. Like, uh, I was hanging on those beaches a few times through life in my 20s and later on when I got noticed to write this book uh, a c- couple of decades later. And, um, yeah, Connor was just there, like a real-life uh, person who was a kind of a not, a... not a sex worker, exactly, not a sex predator, exactly, but so you know, a um, let's say a sexy con man who preys on tourists coming through the town. Um, yeah, so there was a real life model for him, but he he's a I guess he's the he's based on many of those people you often meet in 
tourist towns, you know, uh, a man who worked in a hostel and just never left. And he's, uh, he's very amenable to the privileges and the opportunities that uh, itinerant population provides him. You know, the guy who, like, uh, you know, you, you'll, meet, you'll meet him anywhere. <laughs> Columbia Kotao, who wants to, you know, tell you about a special place to eat and warn you about the locals and give you a massage. He's that guy. He's really built in that great tradition of anti-heroes, those kind of uh, those with kind of more psychopathic traits, I guess. Although you do give him, you know, somewhat of an empathetic backstory, uh, who are sort of, you know, he's he's looking at people and noticing the things that that you know that are quite acute and that are are true in in many ways of uh, the way Westerners treat India or other places, um, seeing what they want to see in it, uh, you know, using it as a backdrop for their own sort of uh, self-realisation. And he really he really does kind of like slice into that quite insightfully, uh, which is part of the discomfort of reading this book, I suppose. Yeah, um, I think discomfort's a good word. Um, I wanted to write a book about um, about travel. You know, I love books about travel. I love to travel. Um, so I want to write sort of an old-fashioned, uh, you know, picaresque about people shifted out of uh, their comfort zones, maybe running away from something in their past and looking to find themselves a new, in a new country, uh, in this case India, which is a long tradition in in literature. But I, uh, you know, some all those stories are quite, I guess the uh, the politics of them are not that right on. You know, they're often not particularly woke. So I really wanted to, I wanted to look at what a story like that would be if you uh, took into account, you know, uh, slightly more modern views on on race and gender and sexuality and that sort of thing. Uh, because while I, while I love those stories, which are often about someone, you know, traveling to a country in what we call the developing world and finding themselves, it, um, the, the, I guess the people actually live there, you know, local people who are part of that country and culture are often treated as, um, I guess as plot devices or, you know, mm. as, as disposable or as just background characters in the journey of a, of a white person's, uh, whereas uh, you, you very much, you very much do get that sense of, uh, you know, that these characters that are foregrounded in so much of Western literature are in fact perhaps plot devices for someone else's far darker <laughs> behind the scenes plot. Um, which I won't, I won't give away too much of that. You do hand the narrative baton over from Connor at a certain point. Um, he's a con man, but we delve into his childhood as well and sort of find out how he's ended up uh, in this predicament and, you know, obviously uh, seeing others as a means of, you know, making his living in a, in a quite sort of brutal way. Tell us about Sasha because she's another she's another archetype that you, you're subverting, really, isn't she? Mm. Yeah, well, um, Sasha is um, Sasha is a woman of uh, of a certain age, I guess is what they used to say. Who um, is uh, she's depressed, basically. 
basically, you know, life in New York and wants to try and find herself on a yoga retreat, an ashram, a utopian community in India. Uh, and she is a fundamentally good person, a kind-hearted person, but that in itself is can be the, the drive to do good uh, can be as destructive as the drive to consume and destroy, which the other main character Connor uh, embodies. They are it's you know, very well very well put that they are archetypal characters. They are they're both kind of I guess cliches of stories told about the where uh, about Westerners in India, but they are. Uh, I guess I've kind of shaken them out of their roots a little bit, and I wondered what what would happen if you took like the guy from Shantaram and Liz Gilbert from Eat Pray Love and smushed them together and sent them on a horrifying adventure. So it's a I it's a wonderful way of putting it. Actually, <laughs> perfectly. Like uh, you know, it's um, you know, if you. These stories of not rich white people in India, but comparatively immensely privileged people. If you, if you know, it never takes into account what they are doing to the country they are traveling through. Really, uh, it treats the country as an as background, you know, their own journey for self-actualization. So I wanted, I thought, if you. Mm. If you take those stories, if you take Eat, Pray, Love, and you turn that intersectional lens just a fraction to look at it from a slightly different point of view, suddenly it's a horror story. Absolutely. And in some ways it's sort of a really interesting one because I guess maybe uh, perhaps this is not a reading that you necessarily intended, but given, you know, the Hindu nationalism rising in India at the moment uh, and the levels of complexity that it's kind of maybe finally exposing to to the rest of the world that have liked to exoticize India uh, ever since colonization. Really, you know, I sort of felt like in some ways this was a metaphor for that, that, um, you know, there's a feedback loop as well uh, when it, when you colonize a country, whether it's for a long time or a short time. Uh, I guess the characters in this book, uh, you start to get a sense of uh, the greater picture um, of the damage that they do and the damage done to them by their actions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's something I was really keen to explore in this book. Um, the, kind of the the legacy of colonization, you know, this, um, you know, in this moment where globally we're taking on sort of a greater understanding of, of colonization, uh, in this case, the, the British Empire and whiteness and its greater part in the global story. You know, we we call it we call it we call countries that have been colonized uh, develop, the developing world. Because it sounds more polite than uh, countries struggling to recover from a uh, a brutal invasion and uh, you know often centuries old uh, occupation and exploitation. You know, so those avenues of uh, exploitation and uh, theft—they um, still—they still exist. You know, they—they they didn't disappear when the British pulled out of India, for example. And um, those—it's you know, when you when you 
when you go to live as an expat in those countries, uh, you are, whether intentionally or not, taking advantage of those uh, discrepancies in privilege. You know, when often when someone says they uh, they're looking to find themselves, what they mean is they're looking to find themselves in an economy where the exchange rate gives life all the consequence of a monopoly game. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. This is the continuation of my long-form interview with Liam Peeper about his new novel, Sweetness and Light. It's really interesting how you play around um, with with some of these things. There's, um, you know, of this this idea of perceived privilege, and in fact, the the kind of privilege exchange that happens once you go to an economy that is less strong than your own, um, and what that means for that place, and what they they think of you as a result. Um, you know, I think one at one stage a character um, Baba who who is kind of like uh, I guess. Um, you know, Connor Svengali in a way um, that sort of, you know, he's working for this guy uh, and shaking down tourists and taking a cut. Uh, Baba actually gives him a set of clothes to wear because he's got to go on a a job. I won't get into that too much, another plot point. Uh, But, you know, he sort of kind of takes a look at the sort of, I think, what is it, cargo pants and a white shirt and a dirty backpack and he just looks at them and, and goes, what is this? And Baba's like, you don't know how you look on the outside. He's given him the uniform of his kind, I guess. This is what uh, what people expect to see as well. On the other side, we've created this, like, this cultural exchange that's a fabrication, um, but it's, a, it's one that everyone's invested in now. Yeah, that's, a, that's really well put, I think. Um, yeah, this fabricated cultural exchange that everyone isn't invested in. I was very interested in that because, you know, we are, as human beings, we tend to other people. You know, we tend to see people, see other people as not, not objects exactly. That's a bit psychopathic, even though the character of Connor has psychopathic tendencies. But we do tend to be highly reductive in the way we uh, perceive the world, right? Um, that kind of... That 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 ignorance, that uh, tendency for human beings to um, try and understand other people, and particularly people from other cultures, in a highly reductive way mm. by stereotyping or something as innocent as uh, as uh, you know, kind of putting that character's dress into a box. Yeah, That's see, something I was very interested in playing with. Yeah. Know? It's even as Connor says at a certain point that um, he says g'day over there, which is something he's never said in Australia, but, you know, it's it's something that's expected of him in a way and it's a market of who he is and, you know, that he's, I guess, safe as a as a cultural group. Uh, it's, it's really interesting observations that you've made, these quite barbed observations. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, those, uh, those signifiers that people throw up, you know, they, uh, you know, there's, what's the word? There's an old Aramaic word, shibboleth. You know, those uh, those little vocal ticks and cultural ticks that we do to mark ourselves as part of an inside group. Um, they become quite important when you are taken from your home culture and, you know, you are, you are trying to 
signify that you are safe and you can be trusted, which for Connor in this story is quite important because he is uh, not to be trusted. He's a dangerous uh, character, and uh, he he's learned to work those those signifiers in his favour. And I think it, it, you sort of have laid a few um, things in here that that are, I guess, little references or um, that you know are, are kind of building up a picture of someone that is at once a travel trope, but also you know, for example, kind of chooses Catcher in the Rye as a book to read when he's trying to lure a, a tourist that that reads a lot, which you know is a, a book we associate with at least one psychopath. Um, but also, you know, you're, you're kind of really how he marks out his his uh, prey, the talent, as he, he calls the women that he he kind of uh, seduces and then robs, uh, you know, is really to kind of do the sort of, you know, manufacture the incidental meetings that we've all had on trips and, and really make us re-look at the sort of, you know, uh, the fakeness of all of it. I met a few characters who kind of went into, you know, who were the real-life inspiration for the character of Connor. People who um, who recognise that when you're travelling, you're more open to experience, you know, uh, particularly if you're travelling alone, particularly if you're on some sort of trip looking to make a change in your life, you know, to expand your horizons uh, emotionally or spiritually or whatever. Um, you know, there are people who uh, can prey on that, you know, type of predator, I suppose. And uh, Connor, you know, for various reasons in his own psychology and backstory, which are explored a little in the book, has landed upon that as a way to subsist. And, you know, the, the, he's... He's misanthropic, yes, but he's also maybe a little misogynistic, perhaps. A little. <laughs> I'd say there's a fair chunk of misogyny. In, there's a smidgen, in, there's a smidgen of misogyny. Yeah. Um, but you say the game, you say his game. Like Yeah, it, it, it feels like, you know, like, you know, he's, he's horribly studied people in a way that I guess that infamous book has. Yes, uh, Connor is. Uh, if you had to sum up his character, he's someone who's read the game more than once. He uh, he calls the talent, he calls women the talent, uh, which is a dehumanizing thing to do, but uh, it's a shorthand for, I guess, reducing uh, people with uh, emotions and interiority and um, real life to a resource, which is what he needs them to be, which, yes, is a psychopathic, is a psychopathic way to live. Um, but that's something I wanted to explore. In this book, uh, we've already spoken about it earlier, but um, differences in privilege, you know, the, the differential between coming from a wealthy country like Australia to, uh, you know, comparatively uh, developing developing states in India, like Goa, um, give you an inherent level of privilege, you know? Like, even if you're not particularly wealthy in Australia, suddenly you, the exchange rate and the comparative economies give you the ability to live a different way and a life of less consequence. 
And same with gender. You know, when you're when you're a man, you enjoy privileges that other genders don't. Uh, particularly when you're a white man, people will give you people will give you second chances and the benefit of the doubt mm. purely on the virtue of being a man on account of the patriarchy. And particularly when you're a white man, even more so. And that's this so, is very much demonstrated uh, in the book uh, in a way that uh, that becomes all too painfully uh, apparent. I certainly uh, at moments in this book just went, really, this guy gets another chance. Uh, I, I want to talk about Sasha because she's the far most disquieting character in some ways for me. I certainly, as many people will, see elements of, of myself in some of her actions. Um, she's a much more empathetic character, as you say. She's well-meaning, um, that well-meaning do-gooder uh in us all that goes to another place and finds themselves uh, trying to fix it, uh, which, you know, I, full disclosure, have done aid work in Nepal and did reach that moment when I thought, what am I actually doing? And it's much better when I'm being used as an English language tool than when I pretend I'm actually in any way doing good. It's a really interesting, it's interesting because at one point, Sasha does come to that realisation. She's a She's a much more self-aware character. You know, her actions, though, still lead her to make choices that I guess uh, could ultimately be deemed as damaging. Can we talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, this is something I, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen in, 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 in India and in a lot of places around the world where um, good intentions sometimes don't pan out the way you want them to. Um, she, like, such a... Thank you for saying she is uh, fundamentally, fundamentally more sympathetic. I, you know, I, I really like her, and I wish things went better for her. <laughs> In, uh, I suppose I had some agency over that. Yeah, you might have, Liam, I'm just saying. <laughs> you might have been a little nicer to your characters. I mean, Connor does, um, you know, Connor's Connor. What can I say? Yeah. Connor's going to Connor. Connor be Connor. <laughs> What are you going to do? Um, but it's um, it's I was part of the thing I was playing with is my own ignorance. You know the the idea that you know I've been to India a bunch of times and every time I go I think I've got it figured out until I until I go down the road a little bit and realize just how how deep my uh, misunderstanding of the finer parts of culture and, and um, you know, the correct way to behave and my understanding of, like, you know, deep-seated traditions and uh, social mores and all of that. Um, you know, in many countries I've visited, I've, you know, committed terrible faux pas in all of them. But um, in India, because it's such a... a uh, a polyphonic place. It's so it's so cosmopolitan and it's so rich and there are so many incredibly uh, ancient and detailed uh, cultures and traditions and families and all of that. It's very easy to get sort of overwhelmed by all of that. And if you have one cultural frame from which you're operating, in this case, uh, Sasha is American and has that, you know, all American uh, 
drive to fulfil the social contract to do good to help people mm. less fortunate than her. When those things collide, when when the actual uh, platonic ideal of doing good and a and an unshakable belief that you can help collide with um, the chaotic reality that it might not be so easy to know that you are doing the right thing. When those things collide, that creates a very interesting story, which is what I've tried to do with Sasha. The travel novel, uh, it, you know, a fine piece of work, Lee. Thank you. That's that's too kind. I mean, I, I I won't disagree. I encourage all your readers to to buy a copy, particularly if you if you can from your. Uh, local indie bookstore because the next couple of weeks are going to be as we record this we're in the middle of the uh, the COVID pandemic and you know uh, local retailers are going to be doing it tough so please keep them in your thoughts and wallets. Absolutely and now is the time I suppose to think about those countries devastated um, by the lack of a tourist industry uh, as many will be uh, so this is probably a timely read to consider once we are able to again uh, pick up our job as travellers uh, and tourists in countries how we will go about doing that. Yes absolutely and you know let's look after each other because Australia's in for a rough trot itself. Absolutely. Hopefully Hopefully, you know, the upshot of all of this at the end of it is uh, more empathy all around yeah. and real empathy, not in a uh, Connor and the Guru sort of a way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Liam Peeper, thank you so much uh, for joining me today on Backstory. Thank you so much. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Hi, this is Mel Cranenberg. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Backstory, a weekly radio show exploring books, stories, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. Backstory is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Wednesday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website, Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.